Hello, witches. This is Kara Kovacs, and this is Business Witch. As a third generation witch, at least, and a business and life coach for mission-driven entrepreneurs and leaders, I teach you how to make money and magic as liberatory practices. Because when we know, seek, and embrace our full potential, we create a better world for everyone. Here you'll find tools, conversations, spells, and inspiration that take you from waiting to creating so you can build the business and life you're oh so worthy and capable of having. Let's go. Hello, witches. It's been a minute since we've done a money episode. I was a guest on somebody's podcast today and we talked about money and it inspired me to dig into it a little bit more deeply with you. For those of you who are local in LA or have friends who live in LA, I am leading an in-person wealth building book club at the cute and queer Community Center, Junior High LA in Glendale right now. And if you're listening to this sometime in the future and you happen to miss the opportunity to come in person, it is a very cute community space with a ton of amazing classes. So a little shout out for them. Recommend that you check them out. And we are having two more this summer where we're going to be reading some of my favorite books on wealth. So grab your friends, get a ticket, come hang out in person, and let's talk about money. Now, if you can't make book club, no worries. We're going to get into just a little bit about how I particularly coach on money because I think it's different from a lot of the ways in which I see other coaches speak on money. And I don't think that my way is superior. I don't think that I have figured out something that is like so revolutionary that it discredits what they are saying. But what I will say is that for me coming to the awareness that I'm going to share with you all within myself really up-leveled my ability to steward my money in a way that is going to have more profound impact and a larger return on investment in my work. And that came from looking at some of the things that I had been being told about money and deconstructing them and deciding how I maybe wanted to look at the conversation, be a part of the conversation differently. Of course, also informed by the reading and the research. So I always name these books and the books that I name in this podcast, you've heard me reference them before. They've been hugely informative for what it is that I'm about to share. But essentially what I'm telling you in that like the way that I do this is different is that this way doesn't have to be for you either. I want to offer you an alternate perspective, alternate approach, and What was most valuable for me in getting to that space within myself, arriving at that perspective in myself, was really the process of not adopting ideology just because somebody who I did trust who was making more money than I was said it to me as if it was true. And I think that that is such an important thing to remember when you are coaching that your discernment of what is for you and what is not for you is ultimately more important than anything a coach or a practitioner ever says. And I think one of the gifts and also difficulties in any line of work where there is a little bit of a power structure where you are paying someone for access to their intellectual insights 
is that we are human and we are imperfect and we are not right all of the time and that you are the best authority on you and that when we say things to our clients, they take them to heart, so, so deeply to heart. So when we're reading tarot, right, and we're saying things like, oh, this relationship is not going to work out, or you're in therapy and the therapist reflects something to you like, well, obviously your partner has some kind of problem and is avoidant because of X, Y, and Z thing. Like we deliver those statements. Same in coaching, right? Like, oh, the reason that your clients aren't converting into sales is fill in the blank. Like we make these statements and they may be true. Like we are experts. People are paying us for our expert opinion. They may be true, but we can't know without a shadow of a doubt that they're true. And people take the things that we just said, right? The the person who got the tarot card reading goes and ends their relationship or spends six months living in fear of the ending of their relationship. The person leaves therapy and goes and tells their partner, well, my therapist confirmed that like this is all you're doing because you're like this. Or the person leaves the coaching container and they make some kind of change in their business. Like there is a real impact of delivering your thoughts to somebody and then they go change their life based on your thoughts. And that is a huge responsibility. And that's why I'm such an advocate for bringing trauma awareness into your work because you need to have a deep, profound understanding about the power of your opinion to impact somebody's life when you're holding space for them. You know, it's, it is like brain surgery. Like you wouldn't want somebody poking around in your brain without intentionality, care, and deep study. And like, this is not different from that. So with all of that being said, if what I'm saying in this episode isn't for you, or maybe it's like opening something in you and you want to think about, okay, like what actually is my perspective on this? What are the parts from other people I've heard teach on money and this? Like I'm going to take the things that I like from both and I'm going to come up with what works for me. And I'm very careful to invite people to discern the difference between avoiding looking deeply at something that they could grow through and taking on something that's not true for them because they think that it's how they'll heal or how they'll grow. And I'm always also constantly doing that, right? Like I have invested in a lot of containers where I've been very bought in on the ideology and then upon further reflection, been like, actually like, there's a lot of things in that that feel pretty harmful that I don't actually want to take that don't really feel like they ring true for me. And I'm going to just keep what was valuable and I'm going to leave the rest. So as much as I love this industry and as important and powerful, I think transformative work is without that discernment and then also self-compassion when that discernment comes after the fact that you've like maybe made a decision that wasn't super resonant for you. I just want to hold space for that for all of us, <laughs> that we are imperfect humans living in an imperfect world, getting largely subjective information from our space holders who really only have privy to our perspective of the narrative most of the time, and that there is an inherent impact of that that requires us to be discerning. So carry that with you. So And let's use that to talk about money, right? So when I did the first iteration of Book Club this past June, I had a bowl at by the front door with a bunch of pieces of paper in it, and I invited people to write on the pieces of paper 
what is the first emotion that you think about when you think about money? And I was surprised. We had some people who had been doing their money work in there who they, they had like positive responses. But the majority of people have a negative response. And I was kind of expecting that, right? Like you receive a lot of anxiety, overwhelm, lack, fear, incompetence. Like there's so many negative emotions associated with money and that people feel really like irresponsible or incapable or like just can't figure it out. They can't hack money. And no matter what point you're coming to, like this is another reason I really want to talk about this on the podcast. And please forgive me as I make a lot of diversions in this episode, because I think one of the reasons that people don't like coaching on money or avoid looking at things about money is because it is such a loaded topic. Like it's very hard to talk about money without talking about trauma. It's very hard to talk about money without looking at the politics of systems of oppression. It's very hard to talk about money when there's also often a profound lack of clarity on the parts of like everyone involved. You know, like when you're coaching somebody on money, you don't know how much debt they're in. You don't know what their bank account looks like. And we make these statements like, I think this person could afford it, or I think this person couldn't afford it. And it's like, based on what? Like, what does being able to afford it mean? When you say, I think this person could afford it, are you saying, I think that they have $10,000 sitting in a savings account and they're afraid to touch it? Are you saying, I know that they have a credit card that they could put the entire payment of this on? Are you saying, I know that they have a good job, so they have money coming in and they could prioritize making this expense? Like, what are you saying when you say that you know that you can afford it? And also for people who have said, like, I can't buy that right now. What are you saying when you say, I can't afford it? Are you saying that would max out my credit card? That would make me dip below the number that I like to have in my bank account so I feel safe? I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from right now. And because of that, it feels irresponsible to invest in something until I have more secure income lined up. Like when we say we can and can't afford something, the backstory behind that is different for every single person that you're talking to. And the feeling behind that is different for every single person that you're talking to. And I think because of that, people shy away from those conversations because they don't know how to hold them in the specificity of what it really means to dig into the truth of what someone is saying beneath the statement of I can or I can't afford or I'm afraid to afford or I don't know what this investment would mean for me. Like to actually really dig into that requires a certain amount of safety and competence with addressing money within ourselves, which means we have to have done our own work around the money mindset stuff. And something else that I should add to this is I've worked with people for years who this is still like kind of like the crunchiest part of entrepreneurship for them is like wrapping their head around changing their money mindset. So while yes, there are certain things out there that I find really valuable for helping people learn how to feel more abundant and create more abundance, I think too that the the root of the conversation that we're having is so loaded and without that acknowledgement, it becomes very difficult for people to access within themselves the clarity of thought to really even have the conversation. Because like when they say, for example, I can't afford it, but maybe they're sitting on 30K in a savings account that they haven't touched, 
the real conversation is like not that they can't afford it. It's like, why are you to quote a client of mine from our mastermind call last week? It has made me laugh so hard. She was like hoarding money like a boomer. No offense to my boomers out there. <laughs> I know we got some boomers who listen to the pod, but that's also like a, a cultural imprint like that, that we've been taught that that's what it means to be good at money is to save it, save it, save it, save it, not touch it. So let's dive in a little bit and let's get messy in this conversation. Like, let this be awkward because I'm really I'm just going to give you my perspective on it. As I said at the top of this, I think it's different from how most people talk about and teach about money. I'm going to give you straight up my perspective, my approach. You take what you want and leave the rest. Mind you that this perspective has been something that I've been working on to make a million dollars in the last five years in my business, right? And to use that money to turn that million dollars into a future $5 million and to turn that into $10 million. In order to do that, you really have to challenge what you've been taught to believe makes somebody good at money. What we've been taught to believe makes somebody good at money is saving, having a 401k, paying down debt. If you want to save to go on vacation or buy something for yourself, give up small luxuries and put that money away. All of these things reinforce the idea that if we do spend money, we are incompetent or irresponsible and are doing something that is shameful. And this idea of like hoarding, right? Like my client said, hoarding like a boomer, like that if you go and you look at the financial advice that is often given to young people, particularly women, it's to put away at least a couple hundred dollars a week and start now and pay down your debt. And people associate debt with shame if it's credit card debt, but if it's a mortgage or a car payment, or student debt, it's just like totally normalized. Oh, that's a different different kind of debt, right? So even the way in which we are teaching people to quote unquote be responsible or ethical with money, it propagates fear and shame. And then we couple that with what most people are bringing into the conversations that they have about finances with their their money trauma, their familial money trauma, which no matter who I talk to, whether they had money or they didn't have money, there's family trauma. Perhaps it's that you experienced food and housing insecurity. You don't have access to generational wealth. There's a systemic oppression where you've been paying paid less because of something about your identity than a white man would make for the same amount of money. There's that component. And then for people who have money, like who come from families with money, Oftentimes that money was used to control or manipulate or there is like a deep family rift because somebody got into an argument about money and it like tore the entire family apart or the people had money. But like the rhetoric that was taught in the family was that you needed to never spend it and like treat it like some kind of life raft and that you were always on a boat that was about to sink. Right. Like no matter who I'm talking to, having money, not having money, having access to wealth, not having access to wealth, there's something really emotional in the conversation for 99% of people. 
And also the lack of emotion about it, too, I think is a really telling like, oh, there's something to dig into there. There's something to pick in into that as well. So you have people coming in and they're being taught like save, 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 don't spend. You're doing it wrong if you have debt. And however your parents did it left some kind of imprint on you. And then you live in this societal construct where you either feel beholden to or afraid of or insecure about or oppressed by the way that money works and the way that we live in a society where we have inequitable access to things that cost money. No wonder nobody wants to talk about it on enrollment calls. <laughs> like that's a lot of things to hold. And this is again, like why I love looking at intersectionality in terms of the work that we do, because it's so deeply impacted by race, gender, socioeconomic status, culture of origin, family of origin. Like you can't have this conversation without it being an intersectional conversation. And you have to hold the nuances of so many things happening at once. That shit is hard. It's hard. And good on you for even like reading a book about it, for being willing to look at it, for being willing to get uncomfortable. Like the only way that you can understand and heal through a thing is to be brave enough to really deeply look at it. So I just want to acknowledge you that if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine you're already doing that because like that's who my audience is, people who want to do that work. So now we've we've dove in and you're holding the complexity of your own lived experience, like what you've been taught to believe about money and maybe even noticing like some patterns. I'll share personally with you, like when I started my business, I had saved $10,000 from my severance pay. And the thing that I told myself at the time was as long as I had $10,000 in my bank account, I would be safe and that I would figure out a way to continue to make money and I would have this like $10,000 safety net always in my business. That $10,000 is a completely arbitrary amount of money based on nothing. It wasn't even based on three months of expenses. It was like seeing it in my bank account gave my nervous system a kind of huh feeling. Like it wasn't based on anything. And to be totally honest with you, I never once went below that number. Even when I bought my first coaching package, which I've said this on the pod before, was $6,000. I put that on a credit card. So I didn't even have to touch the $10,000. And I made that money back times two. Like I made I made $13,000 the month after I signed up for coaching. It was my first over 10K month. So I was immediately able to pay it off, right? Not everybody's business works that way. I know that my business is an anomaly and it's also part of the reason that you came here to learn from me because I was able to create results incredibly quickly because I'm very fucking good at what I do. Welcome to the space. But still, I was always beholden to the $10,000. And what's funny is about three, four months ago when I decided to build Business Switch, after four months of being unable to work for reasons that I've discussed on other episodes of the podcast, I don't need to retell the story right now, but I had like a personal and familial crisis. And because I have to pay my assistant, my contractors, my own coaching, all of that, I was like hemorrhaging money for basically from November, November, December, January of this past year. 
And I decided that I wanted to make a strategic decision to scale my business. And in order to do that, I was going to build out a larger platform, which you are currently enjoying on the podcast, right? We built out the podcast. We built out the course for business, which I'm building out another offering that I think by the time this drops will have just come out. It's like a $30 mini course. You should pick it up. I'll link it in the show notes. But all of those things cost money to build. And in order to front the costs of building my business to the next level of impact and setting up the systems to do that, I, for the first time in five years, after making over $750,000 in my business, went below the $10,000 mark in my bank account. I had to go below my safety number. And I knew by that time, having done five years of mindset work, that I was going to use the approximately $45,000 I've spent in business expenses in 2023 alone to turn that into a half a million dollar a year business. And that I would not have been able to do that by just continuing to serve my private practice and to get clients to work with me from, you know, community events, meeting them in person, my network, my email list. Like I needed a bigger, more visible platform that would attract the right kind of people who really vibed with what it was that I had to say and the way that I like to approach business, like through this intersectional trauma-aware lens, witchy lens, that in order to create that audience pool, I needed to build the infrastructure to find you all. And that's not to say that I haven't met incredible clients in person in the last couple of years. Some of you all are listening to this podcast, but it's like I meet three or four of you per year, right? <laughs> that, that that does not a practice make. And so in order to, it was a strategic scaling decision to go below the 10K number. And I think a lot of people don't think about that when they invest in programs. They think I can't afford it because then I'm going to have a little bit of credit card debt and credit card debt is bad. And not only is that like a disservice to you because it keeps you gridlocked from changing things in your life, but also in total transparency, the truth is if you are thinking that way, you are not thinking about your business in a way that's going to make your work profitable. And in order to learn how to do that, you should invest in some kind of support that teaches you how to wrap your head around being more strategic in creating your audience, your offerings, your own relationship to money, your own confidence as a practitioner. That's why I, I created this $30 ebook, Business Brain, because literally what it goes over is like, the basic entrepreneurial mindset that you need to have in order to build something successful. Again, it's a $30 offer. Go grab it right now. And it has like a lot of the mindset prompts around this. But as I was saying, like it took me five years, like three years ago, I would not have made the decision to accumulate debt and go below my quote unquote safety number as a strategic decision to scale. Like that was built upon learning time and time again that if I put time and energy into an offer, I can make a return on investment. It was also built on a lot of trust in myself as a practitioner, a lot of trust in my ability to connect with my audience. So I don't expect people to leave this podcast and feel necessarily inclined to think about their money that way. I'd rather you think again about how this resonates for you, how it can be applicable to you. And the idea that we can actually like leverage debt to create wealth that, you know, I would have been so afraid to put debt on my credit card five years ago when I started 
And now I'm like, oh, I I know that I can create the results to pay that off. And this is just kind of like an upfront loan of money so that I can build the system to pay myself back. That's what most entrepreneurs have to do outside of the coaching industry, right? Like if you start a restaurant, how do you think you buy the space and the food and pay all the employees up front? Like before you're profitable, you have investors and you likely also front the cost. And then if it's the slow season, sometimes you don't take payment so that you can keep the operation afloat. But somehow, because of like the sparkly allure of the coaching industry, people like don't even have that conversation. <laughs> like they're just like, oh, you need to invest to make money. But they're not talking about why. Like your investment should be something that you are strategically doing to pay yourself back for the investment. And that's why I coach people is to teach them how to do that. It's not you put money on a course so you can learn how to be a better practitioner and hope that you make the money back. It's that you actually use the skills that you learn from the practitioner to build the systems to make the money back. Like that's the intention of business coaching, right? So the other thing I wanted to kind of address, and I wrote a newsletter about this, but if you haven't been opening my emails every single time, maybe you missed it. Or if you're new to my community, hopefully this will be valuable for you. But I don't think that money is energy. And when I say that I don't think that money is energy, what I also want to say is that the last coach that I have, who I love very much, was the reason that I felt safe and secure enough to invest so highly in my business that I did go below my safety number because of the mindset work that we did around money, absolutely believes that money is energy. And her work was so helpful to me. And that's why I wanna say like, I don't agree with that and I don't believe that, but I still got so much value out of the work that we got to do together. And it still really shaped my money mindset in such an important way. And like take what you want and leave the rest, right? So the reason that I personally don't believe that money is energy is because it gives money a kind of power. It makes it into an animate object, which it never has been. And it gives money a kind of power that actually takes away from what the, the true energy behind money is. The energy behind money is abundance and safety and access and worthiness like those are all things that you embody that money is a symbol that you can like channel those energetic vibrations and frequencies through but when you say that money is energy and you have like a money date where you're worshiping money i think that it actually for at least me personally again if you don't like this throw it out for me personally it personifies money in a way that diminishes my power because it says that the energy of money is somehow outside of me and I'm trying to get in right relationship with it so that I can attract it to myself as opposed to embodying the energetic frequency inside of myself and trusting that to create financial return on investment. And to get a little bit more into the weeds of this, and this is one of the books from Book Club, and I've definitely referenced this book on the podcast before, but in A Happy Pocket Full of Money, David Jacondi, the author, writes that only 2% of the money 
in the entire world exists in the physical reality. So gold, coins, bills, silver, platinum, whatever. The rest of the money is a theoretical concept. It's made up. It's numbers on a screen. It's that, you know, we agreed that this costs $500. And when I buy it, the internet like sends symbols that are subtracted from my bank account and added to your bank account. Like that's a that's a representation of an exchange. It's not an animate energy. And it's also just numbers on a screen. Like it's made up. So what feels more fruitful for me and I think has been really liberating for my clients is to think about money more like a representation of an energy that you want to embody within yourself. So if you want to be abundant, how do you already feel abundant? I feel so abundant in community right now. Like I'm really loving my friend group and we have such a cute group chat where we just like talk about astrology all day and we make plans to spend time together every week and like uplift each other like that makes me feel so abundant right now i feel super abundant in the amount of self-trust that i have in my business that i really trust myself to deal with conflict a miscommunication financial instability patience like i trust myself so deeply that when things come up in business, I know that I have the resilience and the integrity to pretty much withhold anything at this point. And I didn't have that five years ago. Like that makes me feel so abundant. So I would imagine for you that there are ways in your life that you already feel abundant. And then you think about money and it's a space where we go back to, you know, what's the first emotion that you think of when you think about money? Is it incompetence? Is it fear? Is it lack? What would it look like to shift that? What space would be opened for you if you shifted that? And that's where we get back to, well, you likely have to look at what you've been taught to believe is the quote unquote right way to do money and what your culture and family of origin has taught you about what it means to be a responsible steward of wealth and someone who's capable of creating wealth. And if you come from a family or a country where the way that we tell, you know, women, for example, to have more money is to be like, stop getting manicures and stop buying coffee every day. And it's like, if you stopped getting manicures, and stop buying coffee every day, would you be able to buy property at the end of a calendar year with that money? No. <laughs> like maybe you could take a vacation. Maybe, right? And I just think that that's so, I just want to say fucked. Like I think that that's so fucked to think that like the strategy that we want to offer people is how to save nominal amounts instead of how to create large amounts. And I'm really excited, actually, because next week on the podcast, we have a woman, her name is Lisa Carmen Wang coming on, and she is going to be talking about why it's important for women to invest in venture capital, because men control 98% of the capital on the entire planet. And it's like, well, dang, 
How do you think that patriarchal systems are upheld, if not by the fact that money is in the hands of the patriarchy? And if we want to really balance power, like you can manifest with crystals and pray to the moon and be connected to your intuitive divine energy. But if we have access to 2% of capital, like the businesses that are going to change the world are not getting funded as much as places that are, you know, actively harming the environment and actively like exploiting exploiting labor in a totally unfair way. Like we need capital to shift things and we uphold patriarchal constructs by telling women like just stop buying coffee, put away $50 a week. Or like my grandma Selma used to always say, I remember when I was getting my degree in women's studies, <laughs> our homework was interview a woman who is around during Betty for Dan era feminism and like get her perspective on feminist movements. And I interviewed my grandma. And what she said was, it's always important you have a little job so that you can put a little bit of money in your pocket in case you want to buy something so you don't have to ask your husband. And like that, that's, you know, for the majority of us, the perspective around money that is like aspirational for women to have, like, no wonder we feel afraid and incompetent and anxious. I want to acknowledge too, this is an incredibly binary conversation that we're having, like saying men control 98% of wealth, women control 2%, like, there are some generalizations that are inherent in what I'm saying, but I hope that no matter what your uh, gender identity is, that what you really take out of this is if you want to topple the patriarchy, we need to move some of the resources around. <laughs> and we really need to look at what we've been taught to believe makes somebody competent or incompetent as it relates to wealth. And I think that believing that money is energy doesn't necessarily help us to do that because if you believe that money is energy then you believe that men have been controlling 98 percent of energy and i think it's more that they've controlled this symbol but there are so many ways that we can tap into abundance and power and sovereignty and competency and deserving and worthiness of being compensated for our skills and we already have access to all of those things inside of us. So when you do healing work on that and use that energy in a way that generates wealth, well, we're having a very different conversation. I mean, that's something that I feel like is really easy to justify spending money on is learning how to do that, right? So as you're leaving this episode... If you want like a really good first step, you can go read A Happy Pocket Full of Money by David Jacondi. And you can go read We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers, which will talk about wealth and equity. Those are always, those are the books we're doing for book club. We're also doing Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Those are my top three wealth books forever. I look forward to somebody writing something, maybe it'll be me, that is better than those three. Those three are so good. They pair so beautifully together as well. So you can start there. But you can also start to look at, like, is the story that you're writing about your relationship with money even remotely true? Like, is it even really, like, what is the foundation of this story that you're writing about your money? Because if it's that you can't afford to learn to be better at money, God, that sucks. That's like a dead end you can't get out of. I wouldn't want to live there either. So look at that story, the story that you're writing about your ability to create wealth 
You can create wealth even if you don't currently have access to wealth. And that wealth that you create, that comes from your intellectual property. That comes from what you build that you can then sell, which that is greater financial security than any job, than any like person who could give you a handout. You knowing that your intellectual property is powerful enough that you can sell it. Again, that comes from inside of you, right? That's energetic inside of you. So start there. Start just thinking about the foundation of your wealth story. Pick up the books. You can buy Business Brain if you're putting this behind a business. Great, great, great place to get started for this. And I look forward to seeing you empower yourself to have greater access to capital because you absolutely fucking deserve it. So with that being said, I'm going to close out this episode of Business Witch. I hope it was valuable for you. DM me and let me know. And I'll see you guys next week.